You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Ron Bachman on America's Web Radio. You're listening to Healthcare Insight. We've been, for many weeks now, going over a number of initiatives, ideas, thoughts on creating a private market healthcare system. We've outlined a lot of details over the last few weeks, and we'll talk about it a little bit more during this hour. But for those of you who may just be uh, tuning in, uh, just been listening to us for the past few weeks, I want you to know that you can find all of our podcasts, all of these presentations on americaswebradio.com. If you go to the programs, look for Thursday at 11 o'clock, and then it'll bring up my bio, and then under my bio has each and every week so that you can listen to all these presentations. Alternatively, you can go to your favorite podcast app, and you can search under Healthcare Insight, and these programs should come up as well. Um, third option is you can go to um, healthcareinsight.net, and on that website, you'll also see all of these uh, programs broken down and presented on a week-by-week basis. The major theme of all of these uh, programs for the past now um, 13, 14 weeks has been to provide an option for people to understand, for elected officials to understand, for the general public to understand, for people who are like me, sort of healthcare junkies, or people like me who are uh, politically uh, inclined, uh, follow politics very closely, is to find what are the options out there. I personally don't want government takeover of almost anything other than the military. I don't want the government taking over my health care. I don't want government telling me who I can go to for my care, uh, how long it's going to take me, what options I have. I don't want a European-type system. I have been there. I was asked a number of years ago to go over and study the German system, and I found out what happens when you have a government system, a government control. It's not pretty. People who need care um, are denied care. Uh, as an example, in Germany, physicians have 38 different budgets for tests, for lab results, for all sorts of types of care and treatment for their patients. And if they use up their allotment for a particular quarter, a patient may come in and say, I've got cancer and I would like to have this researched. I would like to have some tests. And doctors say, well, I'm sorry, I can't provide that test. Now, that patient is not told that the doctor has used up their allotment of tests for that quarter. The doctor is not allowed to say, well, maybe you should go and see one of my uh, partners who can actually order that test for you. People are not given the knowledge. There's no transparency in what's available under a government system. A doctor can't open up an office wherever they want. If they see a need, if they see a problem in an area, they can't say, well, I'm going to, when I finish med school, I'm going to go and open up my office over here because that's where I'd like to practice. That's where my family comes from, or that's what an area I have an interest in, or that's a great area of need. No, the federal government in that case decides where you can practice, how much you can charge, how many services you can provide, how many referrals you can make. So, no, I don't want that kind of a system. I can't imagine anybody who actually understands 
the problems and issues of government control of your health care would want that kind of a system. We're not talking about some minor issue. We're talking about life and death decisions potentially that could occur. If I can't have a test, if I can't have my, my cancer treated, if I can't have whatever the services that I need, diabetes, asthma, congestive heart failure, hypertension, I don't want to have to wait for that. Wait is a cost. Time is a cost in these areas. Is our system expensive? Yes, it's more expensive than other parts of the world, but we have the best health care in the world if you can access it. And what Obamacare has done is limited and prevented so much of the access that could really help people. So we are having people die because they're not able to go to an MD Anderson for cancer. They have a special need. They can't go to a, a center that has provided services for diabetes or asthma or congestive heart failure. They're not in the network. So what Obamacare has done has limited the access of the American people. Many people who have to rely on Obamacare has limited their access to care. Now, there's no way that you can limit everybody because if people have enough money, if they have enough need, they have enough will, they can do fundraising among family members, they can do crowdsourcing, whatever it takes. If your life is at stake and you know you can get the proper care and treatment someplace else, you'll find a way to do that. But it's a fight. It shouldn't be a fight. When you're fighting your disease, the accidents you've been through, you shouldn't have to fight the system to get to the right kind of care. So what these programs have been all about is how do we provide for the sickest among us? How do we provide the right kind of care? Not just give them a card that says they have health insurance when that card, that way of financing health care is so inadequate that the providers of care don't want to accept it or that the insurance companies control everything and they say you can't go to that provider because they're too expensive or they don't want to agree to our policy on negotiated lower rates or they won't provide the policy in terms of the care and treatment that we think. We're going to tell those doctors how to practice medicine. It's our bureaucrats within the insurance industry that are going to tell those doctors whether they can provide that service or not. That's not a system that I want to be involved in. So where do we go from here? Well, I think the next election, the 2020 election, is going to be about health care as much as it's about anything else. It's not going to be about the Trump impeachment. It's not going to be about border walls this time around. It's not going to be about trade agreements. Because much of that's being addressed by the current president. I think it's going to be around health care because health care relates to each and every one of us. And unfortunately, the Republicans have not been very good at getting together and working out a system that would actually work for the American people. Oh, they've talked about it. They've got bumper sticker slogans and they want free markets. And they want pre-existing conditions to be covered but they have never been able to coalesce around a single program. Now, the Democrats on the other side have been able to coalesce around various ideas and push them with their friends in the media. Single-payer system. Medicare for all. They have ideas. They're just not good ideas. Republicans 
have a lot of interesting and good ideas, but they don't coalesce around them. So Democrats are able to position themselves with media support that their programs are the only viable programs possible to solve the problems. It's kind of classic. The government creates the problem, and then it goes out and says, I'm from the government, and I'm going to solve your problem after having created it. We tend to forget the idea that the government actually created the problem in the first place. You want to see a single-payer system and how it would work in the United States? Take a look at the one that already exists. We actually have an example of a single-payer system in this country where the federal government owns the hospitals, owns the doctors, controls the care, the bureaucrats write the rules. And how is that working? And what system is that? Well, it's called the VA system. And we've heard through the public channels, the public airways about the VA system over the last several years. People can't get care. They're on waiting lists. They're denied care. And we know that our veterans, those people who have fought for our freedoms, who are using this system, the veteran system, were locked into a system where many of them died before they can get the care that they needed. We had horrible scandals throughout the system where the bureaucrats, the hospital administrators, would get bonuses if their metrics look good. Their waiting list, their hospital stays, their curates, all those things were included in any bonus they would get. Well, their numbers look great. Why? Because they cooked the books. Because they lied about what care and treatment was actually going on. They removed people from waiting lists so that it didn't look like the waiting lists were very long. And all that got disclosed and the scandal was rampant throughout the VA system. VA system is not a good system. I've had personal experience of family members who are in the military who were not getting the right kind of treatment, were not getting the right diagnosis, were being abused. I can give you a personal example of how a first cousin of mine was abused in a VA system by the nurses who would steal from him. When he was there, I went and bought a television because he had nothing else to do. He was almost in a vegetative state. All he could do was lie in bed and stare at the walls. There was no TV in the room back then. This was maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. We went out and bought a TV. What happened? It was stolen out of his room. We bought him some food, took him in a wheelchair down to the commissary, and bought him some candy that he craved. Guess what happened to that candy? It was stolen out of his nightstand. When we went and visited him, he was still heavy and hard for my mother and even myself together to pick him up properly and put him in a wheelchair. So we asked some nurses for guidance, for some help and getting him just into a wheelchair so he could get outside for the first time in months, actually see some daylight rather than through the small window he had in his room. You know what his fear was? He was petrified with the fear that when we left, 
there would be repercussions from heaven forbid interrupting a nurse to come in and help him. He thought he would get beaten. He'd get taken advantage of. He would be abused. That's exactly what happened in terms of them stealing the few little things he had when we left, a TV and some candy and his self-dignity. Is that the system Americans really want? I don't believe so. So I hope that these series of programs and the more that we're going to present today will be an eye-opener to so many people on the abuses that can occur with a single-payer system, with a system like Germany's that we researched, where people, if they really needed care and treatment, they would go to another country because they couldn't get the kind of care and treatment in, in Germany. How do people know that? Well, you can't keep all the news, all the information away from everybody. There are some people who are going to figure it out because they've got enough money, they've got enough researches, they've got enough contacts. You know, unless you're a government employee, unless you're a union member, unless you're one of the favored groups in that German system, you don't get the care everybody else can get. You really have to know your way around the system in order to figure out what the alternative and options are. So that's the kind of program we need to avoid, not embrace. I don't believe there's anything American, any free concepts built around that kind of a system. And it's certainly not one that I or any of my children or any of my grandchildren will want to live under. So you can feel my passion. You can feel my anger about the approach that we're going and disappointment even in the Republicans about their lack of being able to put together such a system and make it coherent and available to the public. Let's get into that next. Let's take a quick break. Let me cool off and we'll come back in a few minutes and talk about some of these options that we've been putting on the table. Be right back. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and this is Ron Bachman. We've been talking about health reform, free market solutions. How do we get through this political web and maze that we've developed in this country around actually getting solutions through our United States Congress and around how do we get through and get states to actually legislate things that would help their own citizens? I got passionate in the first segment before the commercial around the horrors 
of national health reform that we've seen in other countries. Well, we have our own horrors in the United States, as I described in the VA system. But I want to talk about another horror, one that affects both parties, and how do we get through and actually develop solutions that help people. That's what I'm interested in. How do we help people have the security of knowing that they've got good health care, good health insurance, and that, in fact, when they need it, they'll get it, they'll have it. It's affordable. It's good quality care. It's accessible to the best doctors in the world. But maybe even over that, my main concern is being sure that people who have needs today, the sickest among us, actually can get the care that they need now. Not a promise of the future, but that that they can get the care now. We all need the safety and security of having good health insurance. So let me talk about the Republicans for a minute, because that can be a very disappointing discussion. As a strong free market Republican myself, I have represented Speaker Newt Gingrich at meetings. I have met with many of the members of Congress around health care reform, and it can be very discouraging to talk to people who really don't want to put together a full program to help the American people. There are many good ideas, but the Republicans have not been able to, for years and years now, actually get together and put together a full comprehensive health reform program that's truly a free market system that will help people. They've got a lot of great ideas. I've worked with a lot of great Republicans on health care reform over the years. But usually their programs are very narrowly focused. Paul Ryan, ex-Speaker of the House, before he was Speaker, was very insistent on how do we expand health savings accounts. Great idea. Something we need to do. Something that's still on the table now, probably more than 10, almost 12 years after I talked to him about that. We're now getting back to actually expanding health savings accounts with executive orders under President Trump and the Republican Study Committee. We talked about both of those in previous programs. We've talked about others in Congress. John Shattuck, no longer a member of Congress. Republican from Arizona. He wanted to establish cross-state selling to create more competition, create more options and choices. Great ideas. Now, there are others in Congress. Tom Price, he was a representative from Georgia for many years. They became Secretary of Health and Human Services. He's now gone from Congress out in private practice again. Great individual, great doctor, creative and inventive. His issue was defined contribution. He wanted small employers to be able to support the purchase of individual policies without them being considered group plans so that he could collect money, payroll deduction. He could use health reimbursement arrangements to support the purchase of individual health insurance policies. Republicans, many in Congress, 
really would like to do away with the employer-based health care system we have in this country. And they point to the historical anomaly after World War II and wage and price controls that actually started employers to provide health insurance to their employees because it wasn't part of the freeze. So what do we have today? We have more than 160 million people with employer-based health care. It's become the staple of how most people get their health insurance. So why would Republicans want to do away with that? Most people, most family members actually get their coverage through that. Well, there's some issues. You don't have the portability you would otherwise need, but there are options and choices for that. So why would you do want to do away with a system that actually provides health insurance to most of the population? Individual policies are not very well received by individuals, even though it would be good for them from the portability standpoint. They're usually more expensive and they have no employer subsidy. The idea of employer subsidies to get health insurance is pretty powerful these days to get affordable care because for single individuals, whether you're a large employer or a small employer, if you provide health insurance for your employees, the employer pays roughly 75% of the cost of that health care for a single employee. Now, if the employee has a family and they want family coverage, there the employers will provide anywhere from about 50% to 70% and many more than that. But the average is sort of in the 50 to 70% range. Why would we not want a system that has the free market, the private market, the corporations actually providing subsidies? Why would we want government subsidies when employers actually are the ones who benefit from having a healthy workforce? You know, the human capital is important to every business. That is what makes them work. It's their human capital, not their machinery capital. The most important asset are the employees. And so employers have a vested interest in wanting to be sure that human capital is taken care of. Because you can have the greatest, smartest people on your staff. You can have the most educated, high-degreed, energetic, creative, good team members, great contacts. All those sorts of things may be qualities of your staff. But if they get sick, if they get unhealthy or taken out, they're not going to be any good to their family, to their community, or to their company. So the company has a vested interest in being sure that not only the employee is taken care of and is there on the job, but if a family member is sick, if there's a major problem with a family member, that's going to carry over to your employee who's thinking about their child who may have alcohol or drug issues. Maybe worrying about a spouse who's got cancer that's developing. All sorts of issues are going to affect the productivity of your employee, whether it's an issue with them directly or for their immediate family members. So why shouldn't an employer provide some subsidy. They're actually willing to provide subsidy. I've been involved in doing surveys of employers, especially small employers, where not 
every small employer offers insurance. About 95, 99% of employers with more than 100 employees actually offer insurance and subsidize it. So there's no reason to worry about that part of the marketplace in terms of affordability of good coverage. The real issue is a small employer under 50 lives where not every small employer has the ability to offer insurance and to subsidize it. That means that their employees are left out in the cold in many cases, either having to buy an individual policy, staying on their spouse's insurance if their spouse works for a big company that has insurance, or under Obamacare now they're required to go to an Obamacare product on one of the exchanges. And that might or might not be subsidized. Depending upon the income of the family, the spouse, and that worker, what is the subsidy level? And does it make it affordable? Well, these days what's happening is sometimes, even if it's so-called affordable in terms of the premium, the deductibles and co-pays are so high that it's really not affordable. And that people will forego care and treatment because they've got to come out of pocket with such huge amounts of money before the insurance policy is even worth anything. So again, they're getting a card that says they have insurance, but that insurance doesn't guarantee the health care that they need because that card is associated with a very limited network. And even if they go to somebody in the network, the deductibles and co-pays are so high that the insurance isn't even kicking in. So who's benefiting from all this? The big insurance companies and the big hospitals. The big insurance companies, because they're getting premiums, but don't have to pay out very much because the deductibles and co-pays mean there's not a lot of cost associated with their part of the deal. The big hospitals are winding up in better shape because the bigger you are, the more brand you have, the more likely you are to be in everybody's network. And so anybody who needs care doesn't really have a choice. They've got to go to you and you can set the prices almost whatever you want. Negotiating with the insurance companies, but the insurance companies don't have a lot of options. If the only hospitals in the area that are surviving this whole process are only a handful or a couple of one or two or three that are buying up each other and coalescing and colluding with each other to raise prices, it's not really a very good system to have in place. We've got to find a better way to do this, and we've got to find a way to put together something on the table that actually helps the American population, helps people get the health care they need. But I contend you cannot get the health care you want unless you've got the health insurance that you really want. And it has to be health insurance that's not just affordable in premiums, but it's affordable in terms of the cost sharing. And there's a real key here to the cost sharing part that is overlooked in almost every national proposal that I read, whether it's Republican Study Committee or whether it's the Heritage Health Choices Plan that we've been over in the last couple of weeks. And here's the issue. Your insurance policy isn't fixed on the date that you sign up for the enrollment. Your insurance policy has to be a flexible document 
that provides rewards and incentives for those people taking the right actions for better health and health care. If you're doing the right things and you're keeping yourself out of the hospital, you could be a diabetic, taking care of yourself, taking your medication, following your doctor's orders, you will have a lot lower costs than somebody who doesn't. That person ought to be rewarded and incentivized. More money put in to a health savings account, which will be used instead of the deductible and coinsurance. The, the health savings account could fill that in. You should be able to have a declining deductible that if you're doing certain things, that deductible diminishes over time, much like they do with auto insurance policies. There are a lot of different ways that a creative, inventive society can actually develop a free market approach that makes it affordable to get health insurance, both in premiums and the overall cost sharing that individuals are required to do under any policy. So I think we will do that in the next segment of this hour's program. We're going to outline those types of programs that actually can exist, the details and structure that we should be looking at under any proposal in this country. And it's a consolidation of ideas that have been presented, but it's time the Republicans get together and say, let's coalesce around those free market ideas. Let's get something passed that will actually help the American people. When we get control of Congress, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the presidency, we will finally get something passed that makes sense and helps people. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour on America's Web Radio. If you'd like to hear an eclectic mix of great programs from relationships with Dr. Ann Schiebert to homegrown veggies and from classic cars to the Constitution, we've got programs for discerning listeners at www.americaswebradio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to... Healthcare Insight, you're on America's Web Radio. You can find all these programs on American, uh, americaswebradio.com and um, all these programs and uh, history of our last 13, 14 weeks are all available online at americaswebradio.com. So I invite you to go back and listen to some of the details and structure of developing a free market system. This week, during this hour, what we've been talking about is really how to create the framework for a free market. And we've been talking about the problems of Republicans and Democrats, the inability to get together, the inability to create some structure. Democrats have a great strength in that they get together and will agree on most anything, even if it's got a lot of flaws. And Republicans have a lot of good ideas, but they can't get together and coalesce around a single idea. No Republican bill has ever, ever really gotten more than 30 co-sponsors uh, in the Congress. Now, how's that, how do I know this from just being an observer? I know it from personal experience. I work with the Democrats on mental health issues. 
yes, I'm a conservative Republican and I'd like to see free market solutions. But I also believe that mental health over the years has not been adequately incorporated into our healthcare system. We tend to ignore people with mental health issues. So it's been a major initiative of mine to try to be sure that we treat mental health the same as we do physical health. And I'll tell you what my experience was in getting mental health legislation passed at both the state level and ultimately at the federal level. I was involved in two major bills that got passed. The U.S. Congress got signed into law. One was in 1996. I worked with Paul Wellstone, admittedly uh, the most liberal Democrat in Congress, to get the uh, Wellstone Mental Health Parity Act passed in 1996, which was not a very strong bill, but it was the first bill of its kind that had been recognizing the issues of mental health in many years. The second one was working with Ted Kennedy in 2008 uh, to pass the uh, Mental Health Parity Act that uh, created a national uniform structure to treat mental health the same as physical health for groups of more than 50 lives. This also was the foundation for being sure that when they put together the regulations that under Obamacare, all uh, mental health benefits were treated the same as physical health, regardless of size. So I have experience in working with both sides of the aisle on legislative issues. And I will tell you this, the difference is very stark. With the Democrats, when a piece of legislation was put forward in the mental health area, as an example, it was difficult to put together a bill that everybody agreed on. Some people wanted a bill only for parity of uh, severely mentally ill. That was a big initiative of a group called NAMI, the National Association for the Mentally Ill. Other groups like the American Psychological Association wanted mental health parity for all mental health diagnoses, not just the severe uh, mental health issues. But you know, at the end of the day, when a bill was put forward, the message to me as an actuary who was doing the pricing and the estimate of what the ultimate costs are going to be for any of these bills was let's get something passed, anything passed, and then we'll fix it later. But without having a start, we can't ever get to the end goal that all the groups wanted, which was mental health for everybody. But if we can only get a slice of that, fine. Democrats coalesced around that and got it passed. Republicans seem to have an inability to do that, to coalesce around good ideas. So let's talk about good ideas for broader health. Now that we have an example of the difficulties and the problems of getting legislation passed, by whether you're Republican or Democrat. Democrats have bad ideas, good process. Republicans have good ideas, but bad process. So how do we change the Republicans to actually have some good ideas that they can coalesce around? Well, we've talked about a number of issues over the last several weeks. Let me talk about the major one that we've, we've been discussing and around some of the previous um, programs. How do we cover in a free market system health care for everybody that's affordable, that covers pre-existing conditions? Well, the only way to do that from where we are today is to eliminate Obamacare, to get rid of Obamacare and create a free market. Now, it's a whole lot easier to create regulations, which is always in favor of the Democrats. It's a lot harder to actually create a free market. 
And we've been so far removed from doing that that many Republicans think if we just get government out of the way, we can create a free market. Well, no. Free markets require some kind of boundaries, some sort of limitations, some rules of the game that need to be played, especially in a market that is as huge and as large as healthcare. There's a lot of players that take the blame for the dysfunction of our current system, whether it's under Obamacare dysfunction or whether it's pre-Obamacare dysfunction. So how do you start? Because everybody's pointing their finger at somebody else. Make them go first. No, make them go first. No, make the hospitals go first. Make the doctors go first. Make the insurance companies go first. Well, I'm telling anybody who's listening to this right now that from all my years of experience, the best way to get started is to reform how we finance health care. It's always follow the money. Show me the money. That'll drive the whole system, the whole process. And where the money starts is with the insurance companies, how we finance our health care, whether it's through an insurance company, through an employer, through self-funding, whether it's through some mutual group, whatever it is, you have to reform the financing of the system, and then you can reform the delivery of the system. And too often, again, pointing the finger at Republicans and how we can change too often, the proposals in the federal government level today involve doctors, MDs, which are great at delivering care, but they know very little about the financing of care. They've never really had to worry about that because money just flowed in for their services. In fact, they rarely knew how much money they're going to get paid. They just practice medicine. So too often, the reforms that are proposed are health care reforms and not health insurance reforms. My contention all along is that what we really need is health insurance reform, the financing of the, of the care, and then we can next take the step of changing how we deliver care in a more effective way that actually recognizes the patient-provider relationship. But since most of us get our care financed, through health insurance, very few people actually can self-finance or go without any insurance and just show up in the emergency room because the laws say the doctors and hospitals, when you show up in the emergency room, have to treat you. It's part of the social contract we have with the nonprofit hospitals, something called Entala, that requires them to treat you if you just show up. So we have to reform the health insurance system. Well, how do we do that? What's the process to get started? Well, it's actually fairly easy. And I've structured that with a great number amount of detail, great number of steps on how to best do that in previous sessions. But let me go through it one more time here because we're really into summarizing and creating the images of what could be as opposed to what we currently have. And what I would say there is that if we go back to pre-Obamacare days, we'll be in a mess. We don't want to do that. So if we create a free market, it has to be different than pre-Obamacare. But let's take an example of both a small group and an individual and walk through how a new free market system would work. Let's take the individual policies first. An application is made 
Under that application, they apply to an insurance company. And let's take three different insurance companies as an example. They all could have very different underwriting practices and procedures. But if you go through the process of submitting your application, the insurance companies have the unilateral right to decide what underwriting standards they want to apply. And they're going to be different between those three insurance companies. So you'll have a, a certain number of people that are accepted for insurance and a certain number of people who are rejected. Well, what's the history pre-Obamacare of people getting accepted in individual marketplace? Well, it's roughly 88 to 89%. So almost 9 out of 10 people get insurance when they apply for it. The rest are rejected. Are those rejected lives truly uninsurable, or should they really have gotten insurance if the underwriting standards weren't so restricted, insurance companies weren't cherry-picking? Well, those lives should be reviewed by a quasi-government-private entity partnership to determine if those lives are truly uninsurable. If they are uninsurable, they should go into a special subsidized government some would call high-risk pool. I prefer to call it an impaired health support group. Nobody wants to be high-risk, but I recognize I've got impaired health. And that will be a subsidized set of coverages. Lots of different options, lots of different plan designs. But if I'm not truly uninsurable, that review process would identify that I'm not truly uninsurable. And I would get a certificate of guaranteed coverage. And that's about... 10, 9 or 10% of the population would get a certificate of guaranteed coverage, which then they would go back. And the insurance companies would be required to provide a policy to that individual. It's guaranteed coverage. So you either get coverage from the insurance company the first time you go through, or you'll get one the second time with a guaranteed uh, certificate of guaranteed coverage, or you would get coverage in the impaired health support group. And that would be a subsidized coverage because you've got high risk, your costs otherwise would be very high. And there's a whole series of recommendations on how to braid funding from various sources to be able to cover that. And certainly you can redirect some of the Obamacare funding that's going to the exchanges in order to subsidize that impaired health support group. Now, if you want to follow the Obamacare model a little bit more for people who are um, not of high risk, but are just poor. They need help, financial help in getting coverage. Well, that can be done as well, that the people going through that review process that didn't get insurance first time around or found it too expensive can actually go into another pool that would have some subsidy because they're poor. And I would limit that not to four times the federal poverty level, which for a family of four is over $100,000, but probably no more than two times the federal poverty level. But I'll let other experts figure out exactly what that number should be. But it shouldn't be where 90% of the people are getting government subsidies. I would much rather them get subsidies from individuals, uh, markets that uh, are providing uh, some support from the employer, maybe through a health reimbursement arrangement or some other approach. So, that's the way an individual can get it. But that's not the largest part of the population where the problem is. The problem is in small groups. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and wrap up this hour by talking about how we create the free market and make products more available, more appropriate for small groups, which is where most of the uninsured really are. 
You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Ron Bachman, and the program is Healthcare Insight. We've been going over a lot of details on how to create a private, free market healthcare system. We've been talking about the whole process of leading up to and the problems with both Republicans and Democrats and trying to come up with some real solutions for the American people. In the last segment, we talked about how we can actually do this in a very general way and a structure that clearly outlines how to deal with the individual marketplace. I want to talk now about the small group. Small group marketplace is really where the biggest problem is, not the individual marketplace. That's important. And for a lot of people, it may be the only way that they can get insurance. But for most Americans, we get health insurance through our employer. The unfortunate part is for small groups, for employees working with groups of under 50 employees, they don't always have the ability to buy insurance through their employer. Many small employers are struggling to stay alive, to survive, to develop new products, to reinvest any profits they might have, or to get venture capital to support their ongoing operations till they become successful. So for many entrepreneurs developing businesses, that business that they started of two, three, four, five lives even, is like a new child into their family and they'll do anything to help make it survive. And just like a new child, sometimes you have to wait to be able to make all the expenses and pay for all the things that are gonna happen as that child grows up. Well, while most of us would like to have employer-sponsored health insurance, That's not always possible until the operation is, in fact, up and running and is a viable operation. Many employees get stock in those startup companies. Many times they'll get their first job, their first real opportunities in startup companies. Eighty percent of new jobs are created in the small businesses. So while they have the problem of not being able to access affordable health care for their employees, they want to. They want to have a healthy, productive population. So how would this all work? How would a free market actually work for small employers? Well, the solution is actually fairly simple. Let me give you the elevator description of what would happen. A small employer would make an application to an insurance company. Let's take the same type of an example we did for individuals. They apply to three insurance companies for coverage. Most cases, they're going to be accepted for insurance. Under previous pre-Obamacare, some state laws 
mandated guaranteed coverage for small employers. But in other states, there was some basic underwriting, some limited questions that could be asked to small employers to find out if one of the employers, employees, or one of the family members had some significant illness. That would mean that the risk being taken on by the insurance company was too great that they couldn't charge the right or a fair amount of premium that would make sense for the employer to actually purchase insurance. So how would this work then? Well, under, again, pre-Obamacare, most small employers actually wanted insurance, decided they could afford insurance, could actually get insurance. And that number was probably better than the 90% that we talked about for individual policies. But what happens if a small group is rejected or there's a discovery that somebody within that group is uninsurable or a family member of an employee wanting family insurance is uninsurable? Well, under this description that we've made for MAGA Health, that individual within that small group could be pulled out and put into a so-called high-risk group or what I call impaired health support group. They would get all the products and services to help and support that severely ill, impaired life. And that means that the rest of the group would be very affordable. Their premiums would be much lower. The marketplace for small employers would be much lower because any individuals with high risk, high cost claims would be pulled out and put in to a high-risk group. So it's not just individuals that are put in a high-risk. It's not just indiv individuals applying for individual health insurance that are pulled out and put into a high-risk group. You would also have the ability to pull out individuals from small groups and put them into an impaired health support group. That means that the remaining population of insured lives would have a much lower premium. How much lower? Well, the data tells us from the Employee Benefit Research Institute that 1% of the population has about 20% of the claims. So if you believe as I do that the truly uninsurable under most normal underwriting standards, in other words, the company is not just cherry picking the very best lives, but has reasonable underwriting standards. And I've worked for those companies. That's the way most companies operate. Yes, there are some bad actors that will be what so-called cherry picking. But as an industry as a whole, that's not a prevalent underwriting process. So more than 90% of groups are accepted. And the rest of the groups would have these individuals taken out, put into a high-risk group, and the rest of the marketplace then would have a much lower cost. If only 2 or 3% of the market is truly uninsurable, at least 15 to 20% or more of the cost of small group could be reduced, thus making it much more affordable for employers with groups of fewer than 50 employees to be able to afford insurance. That would be a game changer for small group marketplace. That means that small employers who typically subsidize individual policies by 75% of the premium, that's tax-free, benefits that are provided to the employee. 
So the amount of money that that employer uses to buy insurance is not taxable income to the employee. It's a great benefit to the employee, and it's a great benefit for an employer to be able to afford to provide for health insurance so that their employees are on the job, well taken care of, their families taken care of, that they're productive, team members, conscientious about their jobs. That's what the big game changer can be in a small group marketplace. And for so many people that I consider to be, in many cases, the working poor, you're working for a small company, a startup company, maybe you're not making the big bucks that somebody would make at a giant company, but maybe you've got stock options, or maybe it's your first job. It's an opportunity to actually get your foot in the door and get on that first rung of the ladder to come up this ladder of success. Now we have an opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity to provide for small group businesses to be able to have affordable coverage, not some card, not just giving somebody a card that says you have health insurance, but I'm sorry, you have such a limited benefit that you can't go to all the best providers in this country because they're not in your network. You can't go to the doctor of your choice. If you already have a doctor you're going to, it may be that that doctor is not in the network of the insurance company that you might have today. The options for insurance policies provided by the employer can be very different under this structure than what is available today. So the options for coverage are better. The price is lower. The access to care is better. It's like a triple win for the American consumer. It's a way to restructure the insurance industry so that there's a greater balance of power between the individual customer, the consumer looking for insurance, ultimately in order to get the best health care that they want, and the insurance industry and the hospital industrial complex out there that's trying to dominate what we can get, when we can get it, how much it costs, and keeping so much of their prices not very transparent and, in fact, hidden from the American people. So we don't even know what things are going to cost. There's got to be a better balancing of power, and we've designed and outlined a structure that would do that. It's been reinforced by the Republican Study Committee, who wants to focus and has great ideas on how to expand individual uh, products, how to expand the individual marketplace, expand uh, health savings accounts, and also from the President Trump's executive orders on transparency of making hospitals produce the information on what costs really are. Now, there's one other important aspect I want to wrap up this hour with, and that is connecting the two last segments we talked about, the individual marketplace reforms and the small group reforms, because they go together. Most insurance companies, if they were honest, would tell you that they really aren't that interested in individual product sales. The way they, the reason they are under Obamacare is because the federal government was going to subsidize any losses they would have. What they really want to do is smell, sell groups of policies like small group, certainly large group, but on large groups, they don't even take the risk. That's the employer's self-insured risk that they're taking on. Insurance companies provide administrative services and make their money that way so they're not really at risk. 
But if they're going to be at risk in a small group marketplace, what they want to sell is multiple policies through that group distribution system. So what we want to do in any system is require companies who are going to do the right things in the small group market to also do the right things in the individual market so that we pair those two interests. We get insurance companies involved so they can't just say, well, I'm not going to sell small insurance policies or I'm not going to sell individual policies. That's more likely the route that they've taken in the past is they just won't sell individual products so that they're not involved in the high risk or impaired health support groups. That's not the right way to operate a market. So what I would require is that insurance companies to get the, get the benefits of pulling individuals out of that small group marketplace and putting them into an impaired health support group also have to sell individual policies so that they are incentivized to participate in this entire system. They would have lower prices, they would have better products, and they would be able to offer to a broader market if they followed the tenets of combining the individual and the small group marketplace as a requirement for participating. If they don't want to participate, fine. Their competitors will have the advantage of being able to pull people out and put them into the high-risk pools. So that's the basic elevator description. It's very simple. It combines individual and small group. The focus is on both individual and small group, expansion of products, expansion of HSAs, more transparency. And if we do that, we might actually have a private free market system that works for the consumer and not just for the providers or for the insurance companies. So come back in future weeks. We'll talk about this more. We'll get into more detail and there'll be more ideas, especially as we go through this election year. So please come back. Thursday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. We'll see you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.